you know, honestly, it's the joy and the beauty of life is that we all can fulfill a purpose in a different way. I'll tell you right now, I would have never thought I'd be on a podcast with you. I would never have thought that I would be doing these stages to speak. I would never think that I would write a book. You know, these are not things that I thought were part of my purpose, but once I really actually thought about what my opportunities were to make a difference after spending 31 years taking care of the vulnerable and elderly, I knew there was something I was ready to do different. Welcome to the Unlocking Happiness Podcast. I'm Amy Dix international best-selling author, speaker, and founder of Choose Happy. Collectively, our community builds a better world. I believe life is made up of moments. We have short moments, long moments, good moments, and bad moments. We make sure that all of your life moments are filled with meaning and joy. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest on the internet's happiest podcast. Now let's unlock happiness. Hello, all you crazy happy people out there. I am Amy Dix, host of Unlocking Happiness with Choose Happy. And we are here to unlock happiness with Julianne Williams. And Julianne, she was born with a heart defect, but that was like just the beginning of this crazy journey story. And at the age of 38, she found herself being a single mother of two little children. And it may not be the reason why you think she became a single mother, and we will get into that. She's also the author of Head Above Water, A Journey of Emerging Hope. Welcome to the show. Hi, Amy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, very excited for this conversation. And here in full transparency, we do some other work together. And so um, it's been such a pleasure working with you and helping you get your message out into the world. And so I'm so happy that this is just another platform where you can kind of share your message. So let's start with the, the beginning. So at a very early age, and early, I mean, day zero, you mm-hmm. were born with a heart defect. So, I mean, you obviously don't remember that as a child, but what's your kind of first memory of that? Well, actually, it's interesting. And my mom and I talk about it quite a bit. You know, I was born with a heart defect and would not gain weight. I stayed very tiny until mm-hmm. I was five and they finally decided to do uh, the surgery. But my first five years, you know, a lot of my memories are looking at uh, white ceilings and metal cribs. Wow. And certainly I had a lot of tests and doctor's appointments and, you know, just even, you know, surviving was difficult. And my mom would tell me I wasn't able to crawl because if I did, I couldn't breathe. And so I had to find other ways to get myself to, to you know, around the house. Um, and then I would just turn blue and they'd have to just stop me so that I could catch my breath and, and get pink again, like a, a person should look. And so, you know, I found a way even, you know, before the age of five to still try to enjoy my life, but I would have to stop for a minute and regroup um, before I could continue on. So how long did this kind of last? So that was the first over five years of my life. So after the surgery at age five, then you were able to function without having to stop, catch your breath, et cetera. Right. There but they did want to impose restrictions on me. Like uh, the one that hurt me most as a kid was I couldn't jump on a trampoline. Uh, but later on in life, the bigger issue was telling me that I couldn't have children, that I should never vigorously exercise. 
And um, clearly you said at the beginning, I have two children. So, um, you know, in the end, I always wanted to find a way to, to do and to enjoy the things that I felt were in my heart during my time here on the, on the earth. So I think it's so interesting because, um, you know, we hear a lot of messages of resiliency and pushing through and going against the odds. And, you know, I feel like um, there may be like this fine line between doing somebody telling you you can't do something and being like resilient and pushing through and somebody telling you you can't do something and you really shouldn't do it for for. Mm -hmm like your own health, right? Your own mm-hmm. well-being. So how do you kind of like juggle that in your mind to really determine like, I'm going to do this. I don't care what you say to, you know what? They know best. <laughs> I, I'm not going to die today. So I'm not going to do that. You know, like where's, where? how do you kind of work through that in your head? Well, obviously there's always a lot of fear. So let mm. me just say, it's not that when I, decided to have a baby that I was not fearful the entire time that I was going to die and leave my child without a mom. So I did have fear, but what I did is I, first of all, I understood the risks. And so I decided that if I did everything that I could do by being healthy, by eating right, you know, and preparing my body and being in, you know, in good cardiovascular shape, that the risks would go down and, you know, and then through the pregnancy, I took very, very good care of myself. Now, my father was a nervous wreck the entire time. Mm. I think he lost years of his life, actually, mm. because of my choice to have children. But I think it was just preparing myself, understanding the risk. And then really, I did consult with my physicians. It's not like I did it blindly. But, you know, I decided that for me, the risk of not achieving, not having the things that I knew would bring me real joy for me, life wouldn't have been worth it for me mm. in a different way. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's go back to your dad for a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what did he say? What? Like, you're crazy. Don't do this. You shouldn't do this. Or was he very supportive yet cautious? Like, how was that? Well, he. I mean, you know, the thing with my parents is they're very supportive. I mean, obviously, you know, they made so many decisions about my health and well-being before I was able um, that probably is the reason I am the way, you know, the way I am today. But yeah, he was very excited, obviously, to have grandbabies. Mm-hmm. Um, but he really was nervous the entire time and, and made a few comments at times, you know, was was this really worth it? Um, so he was and, you know, he's um, a man of, of a generation that, you know, didn't emote a lot. And so for him, obviously, that, those are big words, but he definitely was nervous the entire time. He worried. And, you know, in the end, you know, he he didn't ever discourage me. He encouraged me to do whatever it was I wanted to do. Yeah. OK, so how old were you when you first had your first child? I was 29. 29. OK, so here mm-hmm. you are. 29, kind of like defying the odds, you know, maybe being mm-hmm. a little bit of a rebel, rebel in life, but, you know, being, and, and you're very joyous, I'm assuming, like you feel mm-hmm. very yes. joyous, you're having a child, this is everything you've wanted. And then at what point do you have your second child? So I had my second child a little over four years later. Okay. Because in the middle, I had a, a pretty difficult miscarriage. 
Okay, so a little bit of an up and down there Mm -hmm. um, as far Mm -hmm. as like emotionally. And then Mm -hmm. um, child number two comes along, living on this high once again, right? Enjoying life. What was your next like down moment? So my next down moment was, you know, when my husband was really actually, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder about two months before it, I think, really sunk into him that this, this, emotional roller coaster he had been on would not end and it was one night i was in los angeles trying to get back from a meeting and the airport shut down and he had my kids in the bathtub and he called me and he was you know inconsolable and so i actually had my parents go to my house because i was afraid for all three of their well-being Mm -hmm. and that it was like you know you just turn the light on and it was that much of a change and so it was a very fast turn from literally, I remember driving in the car weeks before that thinking, oh my gosh, I must be the most blessed person on the planet Mm -hmm. to several weeks later thinking, whoa, life is truly falling apart. Mm. And so your parents go over to your house and, Mm -hmm. and then what happens then? And so, you know, you know, they worked with getting my kids bathed into bed and, and just stayed with my husband until I got home. And it was probably three, four hours later before I got home, you know, just to make sure that he was safe and the kids were safe. And of course, no one should be alone when they're that emotional. So it was just that I didn't realize that night that mm-hmm. it was really the beginning of the end of that part of my life. Mm. And then when does this part of your life end? So it was actually a really short, like nine months later. Mm. Um, but it was it was hell in between that day and June 4th. So that was September 14th, 2004. And my husband took his life on June 4th, 2005. So now here we are again in life right now. Mm-hmm. We've gone up and down, up and down. And now we're like down, down, down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how does one get through a chapter like this of their life? Well, I mean, in my life, it seems like I just keep having had those chapters. Now I am committed that I'm going to have a lot less downs going. (laughs) I like that. Let's all vow for that. Yeah. Or at least not that big of a down. Yeah. Uh, No more roller coaster rides at my house. But, um, you know, I, I think what it is, is I kind of, I kind of break it down into four things that I do. And I, and I, the acronym acronym for it is hope because it's really the way I remember what it is that I need to do when things get really hard for me and maybe it would help somebody else, but you know, it's, it's H, which is heed. O, which is opportunity P, which is purpose and E, which is execution. And, you know, hope obviously is knowing that, you know, things are going to get better. But when you look at heat, it's really about just paying attention because a lot of being able to heal is to understand where you are, where you are, what you need, saying no to the things that you shouldn't do, protecting yourself from what doesn't align with where you are, you know, and that way that, you know, because our bodies, our minds, they give us the warning signals for things that we shouldn't do in any part of our life, but especially when we're in crisis. 
So, okay, let's talk about alignment for a moment. Cause I feel like it's like a very popular word these days. And it, and it, yeah. And it seems like, oh, yeah, that sounds great, Julianne. That sounds great, Amy. I would love to live my life in alignment. But like, how do you, (laughs) how do you really know? Yeah. (laughs) How does one really know when that's like happening, when they feel it? Like, what are some of the outcomes that we get in life when when we're truly aligned? So, you know, for me, when I know I'm out of alignment, I feel anxiety. I, you know, I feel nervous. I have that gut feeling like my stomach sometimes even physically turns. I, I can just tell it's not right. And most of the time you can tell it's not right if you will take a moment to listen to what is happening with you. Mm. Um, you know, and you're right, alignment is a great buzzword. And, you know, like people like, well, does it vibe with you? But that's it. I mean, it's really <laughs> kind of like, does it vibe with you? It, it, you really know if you take the minute to still your body and your mind. And so, you know, living in alignment for me means I, I can tell when I'm in alignment because I feel the joy. Mm. The things that I'm doing link back to my values that, you know, my faith, my family, you know, my mission in life, you can tell when you're in alignment because those things just, just work out when you're out of alignment, you know, you, you don't want to get up in the morning and go to work. If it's with your job, you know, you, if you're in a relationship, you, you know, that it's going to probably end up in an argument at the end of the day, whatever it is, but we know these things. It's a matter of taking a look at them. And you know, a lot of people call them red flags too, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. lots of ways that you can verbalize that. Yeah. So, okay. So that's H, hope. Um, mm-hmm. Right. So, and O was opportunity. Mm-hmm. So take us through and, opportunity. Yeah. So I think opportunity is like, we know that things can get better. No matter mm-hmm. what, there is an opportunity for change. Yeah. And change is neither good nor bad. It's just change. But in the end, what we have to do is know that things will change and that should be encouraging because I tell you what, um, as much as I didn't want my life to be the way it is now, meaning without my husband and my kids without a father, the one thing that I did learn is that there was still an opportunity for us to have a happy life. Mm. And, you know, I had to make that choice. So no matter what, there's an opportunity if you've lost your job for a new job. If you get divorced and you want a new relationship, there is an opportunity for a new relationship. Whatever it is, it's there. However, with that said, you also have to make that opportunity happen. So, you it, you know, it's I heard a, a pastor say one day in church that, um, you know, if you want to get married and uh, you sit on your couch all day, God probably will not. I mean, there's chances there are people who have the story. But, but most people don't have the guy knock on their door and it's their husband. So, you know, you do have to decide <laughs> what your opportunity is and what you want to do to create it. And then you need to be encouraged to know that even as, be- as even if it's not turning out the way you want it, where you are probably needs to change. Yes, that's so good. You know, I grew up in a kind of a household where positivity was just there all the time, right? Like it wasn't really, I don't know. I just don't really have Mm -hmm. a lot of memories of like putting people down, being negative, not seeing the good. And I understand that I'm very lucky, right? So Mm -hmm. I'll just say I'm very lucky that that was um, the way that I was kind of raised. So, um, you know, I think for me, 
growing up, that all came very naturally, like finding the opportunity, finding the good, right? Um, mm-hmm. But then later on in life, not that it still didn't come easy, but I think I consciously, I realized that this is what I'm doing and this is mm-hmm. what I want to continue to do. And it became even like more important because you see the, like the good outcomes that come out of it when you continue mm-hmm. to do that. So right. um, what kind of childhood did you have? I mean, you obviously, it sounds like your parents were very supportive. You were kind of like, you know, from the very beginning, surviving, finding that resiliency. But what was that like kind of positive mindset like for mm-hmm. you in your house? Yeah, well, my mom and dad were high school sweethearts and uh, my dad went to the military, then came back and got her. Um, oh. And they got married. Yeah. And um, so she, I think, fell in love with him at the same age. I fell in love with my husband at the age of 14. Um, my dad was five years older, though, uh, where my husband wasn't. Didn't, we didn't have that much of an age spread. But I say all the time, my parents had the greatest love affair. You know, they definitely um, really loved one another. You know, they were married until my dad died three years ago. And, you know, my mom was a stay at home mom and went back to work and started a flower shop when we were, I was in about third grade. So I was eight or nine. And, you know, so we grew up, you know, dinner every night at five 30, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, dad would come home, um, you know, playing the I have an older sister, younger brother playing as siblings. My mom was like in the vegetable co-op. She made macrame, you know, plant hangers and played like, you know, Bob Dylan and the fifth dimension and Elvis, you know, (laughs) I love it. You got to go see the new Elvis movie, by the way. I know I've got to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if your mom played out. My mom loved Elvis too. So especially the day Elvis, my mom was in her flower shop. She sent him flowers. She cried and cried. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. She'll tell you. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's such a cool story. Okay. She was a so true anyway, fan. So yeah, I think it was a, it was a fun childhood. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And my, my grandma and great grandma were with us a lot and lived with us at points. And, you know, so it, it was just, we had a really nice childhood. Yeah. So your dad passes away three years ago, mm-hmm. um, correct? So how do you think like the challenges that you have endured up to this point really helped you? Like, let's talk about positivity. Like, how did that help you kind of in in that moment? We're in those well, moments. I mean, that was the start, actually. Of, so my father passed away in 2019. My cousin, who was like my sister, uh, died just like a little over a year later. And then this year, I lost my closest friend growing up in February. So it was February, January, February. Mm-hmm. I lose three people mm-hmm. who, you wow. know, is, you know, meaningful uh, people in my life, just pillars. And um, so how do you get through it? Well, I mean, it does. You, If you don't feel through, so part of it is you have to let yourself heal from what happens before. You have to make the effort to heal. So and, you know, if this would have happened 10 years ago, I definitely wouldn't have been able to cope with it as well as I am now. Because loss doesn't leave. You just integrate it into your life. So it's like, you know, it's not like the person just disappears and you forget it ever happened. Um, right. And those emotions that you felt are poof, gone, (laughs) they come back, right? So they do come back and it does stir up 
those feelings. And I actually watched it stir up a lot of those feelings in my children. It was very hard when my father died for my children because he was such a big part of their life, you know, and they were little when their dad died. And so they are, you know, they're going to continue to have to resolve emotions about this their whole entire life, which I don't really love, to be honest, but I can't change that. All I can do is have an environment where they can do that. But yeah, it definitely brought everything up. And yeah, I cried a lot of tears. Even though my dad had a, a, a long, beautiful life, I miss him every day. And, you know, there's so many times I'm like, okay, because I, he taught us to be pretty handy as girls. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I need to fix this. And I would normally call my dad and it's like, okay, let's see if my dad were here. I think he'd say, you know, <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> no, so, so I think, you know, it's just, I just had to let all of those emotions come out and I've cried a lot and over the last three years over losing these other three people who I love beyond belief. And I know they loved me too. But on the other hand, I also know that they don't want me sitting here bawling my eyes out every day. Right. Yeah. Two really strong things I think that you said uh, that I want the listeners to kind of take note of. One is you have to feel through it thought that was really good. And the other is uh, loss doesn't leave. You just integrate it into your life differently. So two really powerful statements there. Thank you for that bit of advice. So we've covered H and we've covered O. Let's do P now. What was P? Okay. So P is that I really believe that we are all here on this earth for a reason. And, you know, I am a faithful person. And so in the Bible in Ephesians 2.10, it says that he created us in his handiwork and that he prepared us for everything that we were going to need to do. And so I try to think of that. I was prepared already to be a single only parent. Even though I know that's not the way God would have planned it, he knew what was going to happen. And so he prepared me. And so that gave me so much purpose to know that I was already prepared and that I could and would raise really wonderful human beings that would make a difference in the planet themselves. And no matter who we are, we make a contribution. We all make a different one. And so our purpose, not everybody's purpose is to be, you know, sort of more out in the public eye. Some people's purpose is, you know, it's maybe it's to raise five really beautiful children. Some people's purpose is to go out and be an executive or what. But we all have that purpose and we're prepared for it. And we are a deliberate creation of God. So when we keep that in mind, for me, it helped me realize that everything I did going forward after my loss was important. Also, a little bit of a buzzword, but a very powerful word, right, Um, in, in purpose. And I think that like we can understand that if your purpose is X, Y, Z, let's say like if you feel like your purpose is to spread a certain message, right? You can fulfill that purpose in different ways. Like for one person, it may be they feel that it is to spread a certain message and they may fulfill that through big stages or Mm -hmm. being a speaker or Mm -hmm. being on the news like you were recently or, you know, (laughs) and the next person might be like, that scares the crap out of me. I would never want to do that, but I still want to share my message and my purpose. And that's part of my purpose. And so that there's other ways to do that. Maybe it's through one-on-one work with someone. Maybe it's just through like a Facebook group or something through social media, like 
I just feel like in today's world, especially in like the entrepreneurial world, uh-huh. everyone wants to say like, this is the way, this is the way to your purpose. And, and I like to say, I, I completely disagree. And I think that there's many different ways to your purpose. Anyway, I don't know if you agree with that, but that's uh, <laughs> that's how I like to say it. You know, everyone can fulfill their purpose and it doesn't have to be the way that somebody else tells you that it is. Oh, I agree. And that's why I'm saying we were each created so individually. There's not another one of us. And I always say, thank goodness there's not two of me, but um, <laughs> that would be, that would be a little too much. Well, but, I don't know. You know. I feel like the world needs a few more Julianne's <laughs> here. <laughs> you guys like me. <laughs> You know, honestly, it's, we do every single, the, the joy and the the beauty of life is that we all can fulfill a purpose in a different way. I mean, I, I'll tell you right now, I would have never thought I'd be on a podcast with you. I would never thought that I would be (laughs) doing these stages to speak. I would never think that I would write a book. You know, these are not things that I thought were part of my purpose, but once I really actually thought about what my opportunities were to make a difference after spending 31 years taking care of the vulnerable and elderly, I knew there was something I was ready to do different. And it, it, it just really very naturally morphed into with COVID, you know, mental health and grief and all those things that I walked through all by myself. So, you know, but yes, we're totally in agreement that you have to find your purpose. Yes. Yes. So good. And um, speaking of, you also have a YouTube channel and a podcast called Brave Enough, Renew, Recreate, Re- Recover. Correct? Did I get that right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so just another, no, it's great. There's alliteration in there. I mean, it's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> so just another way that you are spreading your message. And so I would encourage the listeners to, to, check that out on YouTube or find that podcast brave enough. You can also access it through her website, julianwilliams.com with an S at the end. (laughs) And I'll just spell it real quick. J-U-L-I-A-N-N-E-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S. (laughs) We'll always have it in the show notes, but not everybody is uh, watching this on or sees the little happy mic moments or sees it on YouTube. So anyway, but we'll have it in the show notes for for folks as well. You know, you also have this part of of you that and I don't know where this falls in the timeline, but Mm -hmm. you have a bachelor degree of applied development psychology um, Mm -hmm. and a master's in public health. Like Mm -hmm. when I. I initially see that I'm like, oh, so she may have gone through certain things in her life and this inspired her to continue her education um, in these areas. Where do these degrees fall in like the timeline of major events that we've talked about so far? I really wanted to be a play therapist in a hospital because when I was spending a lot of time in the hospital, I had a nurse that was a play therapist. Her name was Judy and she was and she's probably one person that I could thank for helping me with resiliency. They, you know, cause I have a big scar, you know, and they made you proud of your scar and all the things that you've been that. through. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Right. And um, so I kind of wanted to be like Judy. So I did my undergraduate degree in uh, developmental psychology, but really my passion went to the elderly because of my great grandma who was Armenian came over in the genocide and was in the Armenian home here in Fresno near where I'm from. And 
it was just very hard to see her in the nursing home. And it was in the 70s. So it's very different than it is now. And mm-hmm. so I, I had a passion towards making life better for older people. And then that led me into the public health space, being very interested in public policy, in epidemiology, in you know all of those things, and having some more uh, expertise in healthcare administration. So that's where that fell in there. So I, I decided after working in a psych hospital that I, I really did want to pursue the nursing home piece of my mission work. And then after I got in that for a little while, I was like, well, I'd like to advance my education to become more of an expert in this too. Mm, So all this very much is shaping your purpose (laughs) in life, you know? I mean, I can see the puzzle pieces coming together. And interestingly enough, today on my Facebook memories, and just to give some context, we talk about it a lot on the show, but my mom passed away of terminal brain cancer in 2016. So we talk a lot. If anyone follows me, that's very much part of my my story. And today on Facebook, uh, love Facebook memories today Uh was we had posted about, we were kind of giving updates along the, the way. And one of the things my dad had done an update on this day, and he had talked about how she has this deep appreciation for those who took care of her. And she did Uh like, like an insane amount of like, just gratitude and appreciation for the healthcare workers, the nurses, her physical therapist, almost all of them showed up at her funeral. Um, And it was a very beautiful thing to watch. And, you know, I think if she was, if she, if she was still alive today, she would be doing something there because of, you know, how she, how they made her feel. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we ended up setting up a scholarship for for healthcare workers in her name. That was her wish. Um, So, yeah. So I just think it's like, like if we can just take a moment and think about those that have impacted our life in one way or another, in our past, currently, whatever, how can we either give back to that and or just simply thank them for how they impacted her and let them know that they impacted our life in a positive way. So I love that that really kind of set a big piece of your life. And I love, mm-hmm. I love that. What was your nurse's name? You said, I want to be like Judy, Judy. Yeah. Okay. We all love Judy. I don't know if she's still around today, <laughs> but uh, thank you, Judy. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, that's so great. Okay. So E, so we're on the last one, E. Yeah. So E is execution, which is, you know, it's up to us to choose to make the, the steps forward. If we don't choose to do that, then we will stay exactly where we are and things will change, but they will change in a way that we may or may not want them to. And so I think it's really about, you know, making small steps. Like for me, I'm really not a morning person. So when I (laughs) really had to be a lot more focused in the mornings, I found that, you know, or even when I didn't feel like getting out of bed, I just got made myself get out of bed 10 minutes earlier every day. And then I finally hit that time that I needed to be at, you know, get out of bed and be productive. Yeah. Just little changes like that, but it is executing something. Um, And, you know, it's, I think that, even though it's hard sometimes to self-motivate, there are ways to help yourself, which is get an accountability partner. Um, you know, have a checklist. I mean, I know these things sound simple, but these are the things when when I was having a really hard time because my brain was just not where it is right now. And even now it's <laughs> probably a little 
a little jumble, but you know, it's, it's just, what is it that we can do? Write a little personal action plan. It doesn't have to be hard, but just ways to measure or ways to do something that you know that is going to change your situation. Yes. Yes. Oh, love it. Love it. And sometimes baby steps is just the best way to do it, you know? So <laughs> we don't need to overwhelm ourselves with the, the <clears throat> ultimate outcome. We can just take one little outcome at a time. Love that. Julianne, I feel like there truly needs to be more of you out in this world, but it is truly an honor to work with you, help you spread your message. Thank you for trusting us in all that. But most importantly, thank you for putting your message out into the world. You make a difference in people's lives. You make a difference when you spread your message. I am getting the goosebumps saying it (laughs) because it is so beautiful and um, so important. So thank you for unlocking happiness with us today. I just have one last question for you. It's a two-part question. We ask all the guests. The first part of the question is, if you only had seven more days left to live, what would you do? I would get my family and go to the beach and just (laughs) hunker down with them and spend every (laughs) single minute I could with them. Love it. And the second part of the question is, if you only had seven more days left to live, but you're in a debilitated state, so you couldn't get to the beach, and all we had left was your voice, what is the last bit of advice that you would want to give the world? It would be to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior for your eternity, and above all, to do the things that you love and spend the time with the people that you love. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Amy Dix here. Thank you so much for listening to Unlocking Happiness. I hope you love the show. And if you did, post a link to your social media, tag a friend, and hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. Help spread more happiness in the world by leaving us a review. If you would like to learn more about what we do, visit choose-happy.me. And if you want to be a future guest, click on the podcast tab to see if you can be our next guest. Or if you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Unlocking Happiness with Amy Dix. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs ups, reviews, And ratings go a long way to help promote the show and mean the world to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, choose-happy.me or join our Facebook group called The Happiest Group on Facebook. Thanks for listening. This is Amy Dix and we will see you next time.